Hi everyone, this is Marsha, and I'm the director and founder of the Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. I'm thrilled and elated to announce the birth and launch of our brand new podcast, CocoPod. Consider the aromatic CocoPod and how, after carefully ripening under the Caribbean sun, it generously offers up its rich fruit in due season. CocoPod by BCLF aims to provide a similar delight. Each episode is a seed, a nugget of an original Caribbean story told in the voice of its writer. Each story, an infinite gift by the offshoot of an ancient griot tradition. As a whole, Caribbean stories are like a mighty tree whose branches extend, offering shade and comfort wherever her children settle. From my team and the legion of Caribbean writers behind us, we bring to you the warmest of welcomes. My name is Kiffy Green. I am the author of If Shame Came in Flavors, a memoir on the cultural shame I experienced when the bank with whom my loan defaulted published my name in the daily newspapers for months. This work is dedicated to my son, Jeremiah, and my grandmother, Dora. I will be reading to you today from chapter 12, On the Verge, Palm City, Discolored Exterior, Fibrous Pit. Miss Graves, is there any new information on when we can expect you to address the outstanding balance on your account? As you know, it is in arrears. When do you plan to bring it up to date? The collections representative was sharp and to the point. Her abrasive tone took me off guard and I found myself stammering as I tried to muster up a sensible reply. I, well, are still working on getting your money to you, you know. It's just that, listen, listen. She hastily interrupted, raising her voice. I have other people to call, and quite frankly, I don't need your sub-story. All I'm interested in is when you will bring this account up to date. Your loan is two months past due. Probably you want me to start telling you Spanish, because of late, it seems like you're not understanding English, and our office has not moved. I was too stunned to interject, so she continued her rant. You know where to come when you're ready with your payment. I could care less that you made a payment last week. I already told you that the payment went towards the interest. We've given you numerous reminders about this account, yet you continue to treat us as you please. You have two weeks to bring this loan to a zero balance. Otherwise, you will have no choice but to repossess your car and have your name published in the daily newspapers. She declared and ended the call. It was the third consecutive day I had heard from the representative for the loan shark I had my second car loan with and her tone had gotten more impatient in each instance. It was the first time, however, that she mentioned the part about having my name published in the daily newspapers. It was one thing to tell me you would repossess the car, but another to tell me that you would publish my name in the newspaper too. If they would in fact repossess the car, publishing my name in the paper, in my opinion, would not be necessary. Was she even allowed to tell me, if you don't do X, the company will do Y? That sounded like a threat. Had they done that before to other customers? I had seen advertisements in the newspaper before asking for information on the whereabouts of delinquent customers who owed a bank or financial institution, but it was always my understanding that those were the bad debtors. 
Those were the people who changed their cell numbers, jobs and addresses, and the creditors had absolutely no means of reaching them. To the general public who saw these advertisements and named the paper, it meant that not only were these debtors delinquent, but also plain dishonest. These advertisements were normally placed by big-name banks in the country. I did not remember ever seeing one of those ads by a loan shark before, so the bitch was probably bluffing. Besides, they knew how to find me. But what if they did intend to have my name published? I could call the lady back, ignore her sarcasm, and reason with her. Maybe if I knew, maybe if she knew I was a full-time student trying to adjust to this drastic change in circumstances, she would see things from my perspective. She would be happy to hear that I had accomplished so much and did it all by myself. I could probably tell her about my sister's kidnapping and the effects it had on my family and comfort zone. Then maybe she would sympathize. Or probably, after bearing my soul, nothing I said would have had any merit. She probably even actually cared. But based on the targets her superiors demanded her to meet, she had to appear apathetic. To her, I was an account, a number on a list she was expected to contact. It was her job to call me, follow a script, and get me to pay. I was not someone she wanted to be friends with. I was not someone she had to be nice to because she wanted to get me to purchase a new product on the market her company was advertising. My inability to make my full payments was the least of her concerns. Whatever my reason, to her, I was the enemy who owed her precious company. She mentioned that they had given me numerous reminders, but even that I was a bit confused about. I had missed calls from them because of class, but she made contact with me every time she called in the past three days. Unless she meant they had sent me reminders via mail. It's, it completely slipped my mind to inform my creditors that I had moved into a newly constructed housing development. It was common knowledge that the postal system took some time to catch up to a new address. She didn't know this though, and she probably figured I'd gotten the reminder notices and ignored them. Though she knew my account was in arrears, she did not know me. She never allowed me to tell her who I was. I wanted to call her back and try to explain my predicament to her, but one thing about me was that I was not confrontational. With just five minutes of her time, she would have known that all my life I had been a good customer, a good customer in Trinidad and Tobago. I was one who was always able to secure and maintain good credit. To get anything on credit, such as a household item on higher purchase, or to qualify for a car loan or a mortgage, required a person to first have permanent employment. A credit card was an esteemed thing to have, even if it came with the lowest limit of 200 US dollars. It was not like the way things were rumored to be in the United States, where you get everything on credit and then you maintain it. No so. In my country, credit was something you had to earn. Even with permanent employment, the average person was only able to qualify for one credit card. However, there were exceptions in cases like mine where you were not just permanently employed but also handsomely compensated and in a higher tax bracket and based on that, you automatically qualified for the fine things in life. Financial institutions treated you with a certain austerity when your job letter came from places like the utility, oil and engineering companies. To many of these institutions, I was a customer with an exceptional track record. Despite what the books at the loan shark showed, I was really a good customer and a good person. If the representative had gotten to know me, she would have seen that too.
Instead, she defined me by my debt owed only to their business. Having the collections department of a company calling me was not familiar territory. I was always in control of my money. I always started my new year with a clean slate and with all my accounts at least six months in credit. I never envisioned what a phone call would be like when you were a delinquent and I certainly did not think I would have been treated with such hostility. I figured she would have looked at my accounts and upon seeing it was my second loan with them, she would have cut me some slack. Her company was not the only institution I owed, but it was the one to whom I was making the most payments. Somehow, the ones who had not paid the longest were the ones with the pleasant voices and comforting tones. Unknown to all of them, I had been saying the same thing over and over on the phone to everyone I owed for the past few days. From the credit card company to the credit union to the telephone company, I was assuring them all that I would clear my account. I felt helpless as I gave promises to callers that I was not sure I could deliver. There I was promising to pay soon when I did not so much as have a clue where the money was coming from. I felt dishonest, but I didn't want them to think I was not a nice person or a responsible adult, so I convinced the callers and myself I would pay up soon. I was on the verge of a financial crisis, and apart from the creditors, no one knew. Not my family, not my classmates, and not my old work clique. No one I had worked with had bills they couldn't pay. There was no way they would possibly understand. Honestly, I did not know how to tell them I needed help and get their help without bringing shame to them. I was always the one to help others. I just did not know how on earth to explain that it might have been time to help me. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to follow CocoPod and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss new stories when they drop. One last thing. Caribbean stories and Caribbean writers need our help. Show your support by sharing and downloading this podcast as far and as widely as you can. Buy their books, support independent bookshops, and request Caribbean titles from your local libraries. Remember that a rising tide lifts all ships. Give thanks. For more Caribbean storytelling goodness, follow CocoPod and BCLF Always Lit on all major podcast platforms. <laughs>